Martin. Yeah. How do you like my latest attempt to get people who listen to the audio feed to watch the video feed? I'm green with envy. <laughs> See what I did there? I'm, I'm going to be honest. I don't, I don't even know what's going to be on this. Like, I can't make a joke about, oh, look, I'm in Paris or something because I literally just got it in the mail. And so you haven't decided yet or are you going like, to have the editors just well, put something back there we'll you don't see, know about? We'll see. I don't know who's editing this episode. Okay. If it's me, it may just be like Terry Crews face over and over and over again, which I mean, I see no problem with that whatsoever. Fair. But yes, Fair, I, ju- I did just get this cool green screen. I feel like El Gato is going to get all my money. Because I just got their green screen. I got their capture card a while ago for getting game footage. And now they have like this little stream deck thing with, actually, I don't know, maybe you'd be interested in this, depending on how many macros you use or would want to use. It's like this little box and it's got 16 buttons on it. Every button is its own little screen. And then you can bind whatever functions of whatever app and whatever like API oh, you those want kind of things, to every yeah. button. Or a button can be a folder. And then you can go into it, and then all the buttons become something that's in the folder. So you could have like unlimited macros. Yeah, those are cool. And I just realized today that I have been not on top of my game with editing. Oh, no. Like, I've always thought I was a pretty efficient editor, but I'm watching this dude on YouTube, and he's got like a zillion auto hotkey scripts for Premiere. And I was like the auto hotkey king in college, and I forgot about it. Like, I totally didn't even think, oh, maybe I could use auto hotkey to make Premiere faster. Well, you can. You've fallen off. Yeah, I have fallen off. All right, so we're going to do another Weapons of Influence episode today. But I do want to give a little public service announcement to the people at home. Nice folks watching on their computer screens or listening on the audio feed. This is actually more directed to the computer screen people. So I've gotten a few questions from people saying, Hey, can you put the podcast on Spotify? The answer to that is, I've tried one million times. I've seriously tried so many. I've tweeted Spotify. I've asked people who want it to be on Spotify to tweet them. And here, I'll actually make this the official call. If you want to see the College Info Geek podcast on Spotify, tweet at Spotify and ask them because I, I feel like the the demand is probably going to help push the process along. Yeah, I've submitted via their little request form. Apparently, our podcast host is going to have a deal with them eventually. So maybe yeah, we'll get we'll, on Spotify we'll, we'll eventually. We'll see when that happens. I'm not really sure. But we've been trying for a really long time. But the more important thing I want to mention here is that a lot of people think that Spotify is the only way to get our podcast if they own an Android phone, and that is not true. No. So if you have an Android phone and you don't have YouTube Red, you don't want to try to download these videos, you don't want to sit at your computer and watch them stream on the internet, maybe you want to take them for a run or to go fight bears or something out in the forest, uh, there are a ton of apps out there. I, I believe most Android phones have Google Play. And there's a like Google Music. There's like a podcasts section yeah. in there. We're on that. Um, there's a free app on Android called Podcast Addict, I believe. That's free, and you can get us there. Uh, I use Pocket Casts on my iPhone, but that's also on Android. I think it's like a three dollar app. So basically, the upshot of it is you can go into the Android App Store, search up Podcast App, and then download that. Search for the College Info Geek Podcast within it. And you will be able to subscribe to the audio feed, download episodes to your heart's content, and everything will be hunky-dory. There will also be a link in the show notes for this episode to a page on College Info Geek that explains all this in text and gives you links. So hopefully that will make it easy for people. Tech Support 101. Fair. Tech Sport. Tech Sport. I remember being in Tech Sport. I didn't like it. 
It was not good. I think I liked it more than you, but I also wasn't in, like, there weren't really calls. I just you, I just went everywhere around the college campus and fixed it physically. You were not level one help desk. Or as they say in the biz, the hell desk. You got to just go and fix problems on your own. And let me tell you, yeah, I liked that. in tech great. support, being able to be either go on site or remote into someone's computer makes the job infinitely better. I mean, you're still sitting on your butt fixing people's Microsoft Word problems all day. But, and that's not a pun, uh, you're not trying to tell them how to do it. You just get to yeah, do it. Especially over the phone. That's It's really difficult. That is difficult. Especially when like their internet's out. So you can't even tell them, hey, go look at this page that explains it. You just have to say, all right, do you know where your Ethernet port is? No, it's not an outlet. It looks a little bit different than that. Let me draw a picture for you with words. I don't know. I do, I do believe that it built some patience in me. In fact, it's possible that every bit of meditation that I would ever gain benefit from has already been done through patience, just sitting on phone calls. Oh. Just Maybe you are a Zen master. We just didn't know. Deep breaths. Deep breaths, Tom. Anyway. So yeah, we're doing another episode in our Weapons of Influence series. If you guys uh, aren't caught up on this, this is a series that goes over Robert Cialdini's book, uh, influence the psychology of persuasion and i believe this is episode number five right because we kind of packed chapter one and two into the first episode since one was yeah since really one short right one was like a little piece and it wasn't really a full i, th- I think this is five Wait, this is yeah maybe? this is five this is number five in our series yeah so yeah i'm real confused now because the series and the chapter numbers just got in my head it's minus right. one from yeah. the chapter number yeah, I always have to remember. There's always like little mental tricks like that. Like, uh, I think like my mom's age is my age doubled or something like that. That helps me remember. Because whenever you try to take someone's birth year and figure out the birth date, you're always just like, is it? Does that work forever? Uh, or no, actually, it works this she, year. It's oh, okay, because she probably doesn't gain two years. That's for true. Every age, that actually doesn't. Every, that would that's that mental hack has only worked this year <laughs> occasionally and already i think occasionally it works okay yeah well hey even a broken watch is right twice a day and if you just like i don't know believe that it's always five o'clock somewhere then <laughs> you just get a handful of broken watches and one of them's probably <laughs> I, I right i didn't think that would actually coalesce into a decent joke but it yeah did. <laughs> <laughs> or alternatively it's high noon somewhere so this episode of weapons of influence has to do with authority Uh, Basically, people are able to wield a lot of social influence when either they have some position of authority or there is a perception that they have a position of authority. Uh, I listened to this chapter a couple of days ago, but you actually read it this morning morning, and you have notes, which I do not. So I'm going to be going from memory. All right. All right. Yeah. So tell us uh, some of the highlights that uh, stood out to you from this chapter. Okay, so well, basically the whole point was uh, people, especially adults, because, you know, little kids, sometimes they don't care about authority yet. They haven't had that fear drilled into them. That's true. Uh, no traumatic experiences es- Especially yet. adults, they find it very hard to not listen to a perceived authority figure, no matter how absurd, like, it is, and mm-hmm. if their common sense tells them to do otherwise. So uh, the first example I think that he gives is the classic experiment where... You've got the researcher, and then the researcher gets 
gets uh, two people, and one of them is going to be the learner, and they're supposed to memorize words. Mm. And then the teacher is the second person he gets, and he tells the teacher, every time the learner says the wrong answer, I want you to shock them in increasingly terrible shocks. And there's like this board of switches, and every switch is like an increased voltage. Yeah, and it kept going up to like absurd numbers. Mm -hmm. And, And the learner, fortunately, they're faking it. They're not actually being shocked to death for the sake of this. That's great yeah. news. And for context, the only view that the – what is the subject? The teacher? Yeah, because there's a teacher and learner, and then there's like an exper- the psychologist who's in the room with the teacher. Yeah. The learner and the teacher are separated, so they can only uh, – he can only hear the learner. Yeah, so he can like speak. hear the learner screaming, stop yeah. it. I'm. This is terrible. But, but he can't see him like strapped into an electric chair or anything. He just has to believe that he's – Yeah. It's happening. Yeah. And uh, – Basically, uh, almost everyone went all the way to the maximum voltage, even as the learner kept screaming, simply because the researcher told them to continue. And uh, they aren't terrible people. This wasn't, they didn't pick like specifically psychotic inmates of some, uh, of Gotham, you know? They didn't do that. It was, in fact, most of the people started breaking down as they were torturing the learner for their things. Like, uh, they mm-hmm. were talking about this uh, really poised businessman who came in all professional and calm and eventually was breaking down and, like, begging for the researcher to let him stop. Yeah. And, like, they just kept doing it. They were like, please don't let me shock this guy again. And then he was like, shock him. And he was you like, fine, do I'll do it. You really, you really got me with that. I've read about this experiment before, this book. Uh... And I still have trouble believing the results. Or I guess more specifically, I have trouble believing that if I were the teacher in one of those experiments that I would actually do that. Because like it, it's very analogous to the whole, like the Nazis, I'm just taking orders kind of thing. And yeah. we have so much animosity for all the people in history who were Nazis and who said, I was just following orders. And obviously the orders they followed were awful and horrendous and inhumane and every bad word you can think of Uh, but this experiment shows that it's not necessarily only total moral depravity there's a lot of psychological power to the authoritarian structure that they built and i would imagine the nazis worked and researched really hard to build they did some very strong authoritarian structure this isn't me justifying the actions of any nazis whatsoever i just want to say like don't, I don't think that anybody in that command structure was like, boy, I really just love doing this and I have zero mental conflicts about it at all. Yeah. And it, and it's also like it's a warning to everyone mm-hmm. to just like pay attention because given the right circumstances, yeah. you too are capable of terrible things if you don't watch mm-hmm. out for it. I guess, yeah, that's the main lesson here. Like how could how could somebody who was part of the Nazis possibly do those things? Where's their humanity? Well, this right here shows yeah, you Normal people just in how the right circumstances can – can end up doing some bad stuff. And so before we move on from that, what I want to know is like, what are your thoughts on how to guard against that? Because there was another part in the chapter where they were showing how status symbols affect uh, people's perceptions of other people and how they behave around them. And they did experiments where they would have a researcher in like a, a Lexus or like a really fancy car. And then they would sit at the green light after it turned green for a few seconds too much. And they would see who honked behind them. And then they would go get into like a jalopy car and do the exact same thing. And the results were that the people in the crappy jalopy car got honked at almost immediately. But if they were sitting in the Lexus or the Cadillac or whatever, then people kind of had some deference. They would wait a lot longer to honk. But then when they asked college kids, and I think it was specifically college guys, 
Yeah. Uh, like, what would you do? They said, well, I would actually honk at the guy in the rich car faster because that guy's a jerk. Yeah. He's flaunting his wealth and he's just being a total menace on the road. And in reality, it's the opposite situation when you actually find yourself. I think it's the same thing where the, we're like, uh, you know, kids in gym class are just talking about what they would do to their teacher. Yeah. But then when they actually get into the classroom, they don't do that. I didn't say anything. <laughs> I'm going to skip school. I ain't going to do my homework. Just kidding. Yeah, I'm just, not, I'm not just scared kidding. of you, dad. Fine, fine. I'll do it. I'll do it. I am scared of you, dad. Leave me alone. Or it's like that Key and Peele skit that we can't recite here, but people, yeah. people yeah. may understand the reference. <laughs> There's a lot of deference when you're actually in the presence of authority. So how do you guard against this when you know that what the authority figure is asking you to do is morally wrong or dangerous or yeah, you shouldn't do I, it all? I think the, the the biggest problem here is, one, we underestimate how much this affects us, like all the people who talk a big game and immediately back down. Mm-hmm. They honestly think that they'll do that some of the times. They think they'll honk at the rich guy's car, but they're wrong. They don't know themselves because this this is an automatic response, like most of the things we've talked about in this book. And the thing is, the human brain likes to be efficient, which yeah. is why we create ridiculous generalizations. It's why we take mental shortcuts. And it means that when we don't have to think, we don't want to think. We just won't. We'll skip thinking. Yeah. So in these situations, I think it'd be really, really, really important to try and stop yourself and actually think. Because... Sometimes your expertise might actually be more useful than the authority figures because they they had a part where they were talking about uh, a lot of medical examples, Mm -hmm. you know, and they were talking about how there are a lot of errors that happen in hospitals because the doctor made a mistake and the nurses or whatever staff just listened because Mm -hmm. their job is to just listen to the doctor, at least as far as they're executing it at that time. Yeah. And the problem is, those nurses also have medical training. Like, they know that some of this stuff doesn't make sense. And one of the examples was just completely absurd because somebody had an earache in their right ear, mm-hmm. and then the doctor wanted them to get eardrops in their ear, naturally, because that's where eardrops go. And then he hastily scribbled a note that said, eardrops in our ear. And the nurse <laughs> read it and thought that it said eardrops in rear, and that is where they administered the eardrops, which does not do anything for your earache. It turns out, yeah. And I guarantee you, if they had thought about it, and they weren't just like, well, I'm sure he knows what he's doing, they were probably, for a few moments, like, what is... That doesn't seem right. Maybe I shouldn't do it. But then they were just like, eh, he probably's right. We're going to do that. It'll fix the earache. Doesn't even make any sense. That seems like a a little bit of a different problem to the the whole uh, shocking... The learner oh well, yeah. Well, it's problem. not. It's not violence. It's just like. Right. Well, th- this is. What you it, don't stop to think. Before yeah. You, the separator here is with that. With that other or the the previous experiment, clearly the teacher was thinking. They were anguished about what they had to do, but they felt like they were powerless. They felt like they had to do what the authority figure had said. Whereas in this nurse case, it's a different problem. It's and this is a phrase that the book uses a lot, and I don't think we've used in this series. Um, it's like a tape in your head, just like this click oh, word yeah, response, yeah. like run the automatic tape because of some social influence factor, in this case, authority. Doctor said put the eardrops in the rear. I'm not going to think about that. The doctor said to do it, so I'm just going to do it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I suppose in that <laughs> case, I would hope that they thought for a few seconds before they just decided, and eh, my thoughts it didn't matter. Yeah. But yeah, in the case where you're very directly not wanting to do it, and you know you shouldn't, and you blatantly shouldn't. Right. I guess I just don't know. I don't. That's a hard situation because actually a better example was um, the people on the railroad tracks. 
What was that one again? So uh, these people, I I think I think oh, at least yeah. the one was a veteran. I can't remember his last name. Right. But it was three guys, and they were protesting U.S. military equipment going to Nicaragua, I think. Mm-hmm. And so they they told everybody, hey, we're going to be on your railroad tracks, and you're going to have to run us over if you want to go. So you should stop. They yeah. pre-warned them. So it's not like the, the military were surprised. They weren't like, oh, whoops, people, I didn't see them. We ran them over. They knew about it. And what happened was, because they were not ordered to stop, the people running... I think they were ordered not to stop. Yeah, they were ordered not to stop, and they just kept going. And two of the guys of the three luckily jumped away and were like, well, geez, nobody cares, I guess. Yeah. The third guy got his legs ran over, Yep. and they were also not... They were ordered not to help him, so they did not have any military medical assistance or ambulances help him, and his family tried to stop the bleeding for 45 minutes yeah. until another ambulance came. And and this guy didn't even blame them because he said, well, I served in Vietnam for four years. Yep. They were just following orders. They're the fall guy. Exactly. It's not their fault. It's the fault of this incredibly authoritative structure that gives you no reason to think for yourself and punishes you when you do. It went further than that, though, didn't it? Because didn't the employees who were driving the train actually oh, sue yeah, that guy? Yeah, that's the best part. For putting them through like psychological trauma because they were forced to run him over. They felt yeah. forced to run him yeah. over. They were so unable to not listen to authority that instead of saying, it's my fault because I listened to authority instead of running that man's legs over with a train, they said, well, well, obviously I had to run your legs over. You're the one who put them there. It, I yeah. had no control, so it's all your fault. And then they literally sued him. That's ridiculous. Because clearly, they had some actions they could take, but they were so unwilling to take responsibility for them Mm -hmm. that they literally filed a lawsuit against somebody who got his legs cut and was left to bleed for 45 minutes. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I've been in situations before, obviously not having to run people's legs over, but where an order from authority will come down, and it doesn't make sense. I don't think that I actually just unconsciously do the whole quick, like, click were thing and just jettison my critical thinking right away. What happens in my memory is I look at what the authority figure has said. I compare that to what I think, and I'm like, okay, I guess my model of reality must be broken because it's in contrast to what this authority figure is saying. So it's it's almost like this confusion, and in the confusion, you defer to the authority yeah, figure you say, because, I must just be because they have authority. You know, and the weird thing is, like in the book, it said that it doesn't even have to be real authority. Like there were commercials for medicine yeah. from a dude who played a doctor on TV. I don't remember on what show, but he literally was an actor, and people knew he was an actor with no medical training. But it still worked. He wears the white lab coat. In fact, I should be wearing a white lab coat right now. What am I doing? I'm wearing a t-shirt. Man, this is a terrible authority figure costume yeah. right here. At least you got like a long sleeve shirt going on there. Uh, you got. You don't even have to be a real authority. That's. It's just so ridiculous. Also, in a hospital example, an, another one was they had a guy who who the nurse had never met, call, say he was a doctor, and prescribe a patient a drug that was not even approved for their use mm-hmm. at twice the maximum daily dosage. Yeah. And then, in almost every one of the cases. The nurse just went to do it. Now, luckily, they were stopped by the researcher who was like, whoa, before you accidentally kill this patient, yeah. this was a test. You did not pass this test. Yep. But so they didn't like do anything terrible for the experiment. But yeah. they didn't even know this doctor. And also, it was against the rules to take any sort of prescription over the phone, too. It yep. was just like, he's a doctor. I listened to a doctor. And so that was an experiment. Yeah. But 
this is something that I think people may actually have a good chance of running into in real life. So when I did my internship at Principal, uh, this was back in 2011 when I was a sophomore in college or just done with my sophomore year, I was in the IT department and one day I got a call and I pick it up and it's from somebody outside the company, but he was like, hey, I'm a systems analyst with this contractor that works with your company and I need to get like version numbers of the software you're using. I need to know like what kind of firewall you guys are using. And he made it sound like my boss had kind of like said I should do this. Like, oh, your boss said I could call back and get this information. I'm calling you. And there was like this little thing in my head, like he sounds legit. It sounds like he's above my pay grade because I'm just an intern. But luckily I had been told in my previous job at the campus university, this is called vishing. Uh, I think an email, it's phishing, and then on the phone, it's vishing, I guess, for some reason. I don't know why. I don't know. But basically, <laughs> they're phishing for information by posing to be somebody they're not and then hoping that you'll just tell them things over the phone. And if I were to tell them version numbers of the firewall we're using, who knows? Maybe they realize that, oh, hey, the company's not running an updated firewall, and that one actually has a vulnerability in it. Now I have a target that I can attack. Yeah. So I told them, if you want that information, you can call my boss and didn't tell him anything. Because yeah. I've been trained on that. But I think that's that's what you have to do is you have to train yourself against these specific instances and you have to train yourself to recognize when the authority doesn't make sense. Yeah. Or when it's in, in contrast to uh, something that you know you should do or a direct policy or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it would be it would be very difficult. And I think uh, another way to predict protect from this would be, yes, in many situations, we should defer to authority. If I go to the doctor's office and they tell me why I'm sick, my first instinct is probably to believe them unless it seems like it makes no sense whatsoever and they weren't listening Mm -hmm. because they're the expert in that situation. But as far as authority figures go, in any sense, if you don't let it become sort of... Like, people worship authority to a degree. It's like, you control everything. You can run it all. I trust you in every way. They are just people. You know, and one of the biggest part of, of growing up is realizing all your old teachers and your parents are just people who make mistakes and do dumb stuff just like you. Yep. And that's I think that's very important to keep in mind because we get too caught up in like hero worship. Yeah. Like you can do everything for me. Cult of personality situations where it doesn't matter what they say or do, mm-hmm. even if they blatantly say stuff that you know isn't true. And you're just like, well, they've got my best interests at heart for no apparent reason, I guess. Yep. Because they got a title. So, so don't. Don't worship people as better than you in mm-hmm. those situations because they're not. They just happen to hold more expertise and they maybe have a better opinion based on their education or something. But And they might not even hold more expertise. They you know, may the not. The book talked about like their perceptions of authority that are built if you just wear a nice suit. Yeah. I can wear a nice suit. doesn't mean that I'm an expert on, I don't know, thermonuclear physics or something like that. I didn't even say yeah, nuclear. Yeah, because you got to have the you got to have the relevant authority too. Exactly. Because like with that actor who who played the doctor, mm-hmm. if that was a commercial about acting classes, he might have some authority there. He's exactly. A, he's yeah. an actor. He knows how to act. Okay. But he's not a doctor. So those yes, he is an authority in one area, but that doesn't mean he's an authority in another. Yeah. So I mean, I personally don't have, you know, a bunch of investment knowledge. And if I start telling people where to invest their stocks and I give them a bunch of specific stuff, don't listen to me. I have no authority in that area. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense, even if everything else I'll tell you is always true. So I keep coming back to this question of how would I build the mental tools to fight back against being told to shock the person again and again and again? Yeah, because that, that is like the it's, craziest it's really example. Tough. 
I guess the thing that's coming to my head right now, and these are kind of, you know, in development thoughts. If you expose yourself to conflict, you get more comfortable with it. Oh, I think a, a lot point. of people are totally unwilling to go into any conflict whatsoever because it's uncomfortable and they're not practiced at it to the point where I think I think aversion to conflict actually manifests itself and turns into social anxiety at times. People start to view social interactions as a form of conflict. They start to view yeah. calling up the pizza guy to to you know ask for a delivery pizza as a form of conflict not because the pizza guy's gonna laugh at you or tell you you can't have a pizza but because you're fighting against you know wanting to not sound awkward or hoping you don't say something incorrect and you know yeah. seem stupid you get a fight or flight response to like yeah. things that don't necessitate fight or flight exactly you know and, and having to work at the id at the, or at the hell desk and doing phone calls that helped me to get better at phone calls and That's be a good more point. confident you, on the phone. You got to be able to get yelled at and withstand it and be like, I still disagree. Exactly. Even yeah. though you just yelled at me a lot. That's so, actually a good point. That's a big skill to build. Yeah. Hopefully then nobody listening to this podcast is going to be put in a situation anytime soon where they have to apply electric shocks to somebody. But you may be in a situation where a boss tells you to do something you know is a dumb idea and this is a situation where you're unlikely to have any really bad consequences if you respectfully disagree and show why you disagree. Yeah. And that is a great, that's a great opportunity to do that. And whether or not they agree with you or not, you're going to expose yourself to conflict and realize that you don't actually die. I think it's one, like one nice thing about having to do boxing when I was a kid, you kind of realize that getting punched in the face hurts, but you don't die. You sure you don't die? Like, I could be dead right now. I don't now. think I've ever been punched in the face, so I don't know that you don't die. I have been punched in the face many times, both in the boxing ring and not in the boxing ring. Uh, it turns out you don't die. Well, okay, you can die, but... Well, well now I'm scared. Usually you don't die, <laughs> especially if it's boxing gloves and they're padded. Uh, you don't die. Most people who die from punches are like drunk guys who get in bar fights with really big other drunk guys. Oh. If it's like a kid... I'll Usually it's not going to happen. This isn't me condoning punching people in the face unless you're in boxing, which in which case I condone that because that's a sport. That's fine. But all I'm saying is before you start boxing, you're so scared and you're just like, I don't want to get hit in the face. It's going to be the end of the world. It's going to hurt so badly. And then you finally do. And yeah, it sucks. It doesn't feel good. But you finish the match and you're like, I'm still alive. And maybe I have a small bruise, but the pain from the punch was really fleeting. It was like five seconds of pain and I'm good to go. I'm stronger now. So disagreeing with authority and establishing your own sort of moral and intellectual like ground yeah. grounding points. Is, I think that may be another a, good point is a good too. way of practice. Yeah. Understand like where, where is your moral grounding? I guess people, a lot of people probably don't have a good understanding of their stance on many different issues, which yeah. could also, well, you can also accept and what point might you actually have expertise and is it worth listening to? Because if you have expertise yeah. or experience and, and your boss keeps saying, no, it should work like this, and you just tried it a different that way and it doesn't work, mm -hmm. then you know you're right. Well, that reminds me of probably my favorite quote ever, which comes from Bruce Lee. Uh, I have it memorized. Adapt what is useful, reject what is useless, and add what is specifically your own. There are always going to be authority figures trying to give you like friendly, helpful advice, but it always comes from a specific context. Now, maybe they have 
the you know, presence of mind to think back to when they were in your particular situation and maybe give advice from that vantage point, in which case it may be more useful. But a lot of authority figures are going to tell you something from their own vantage point. For example, I'm a YouTuber with almost a million subscribers, and I could be like, you know what's great? Getting editors for your channel. Man, you just pay them a few hundred dollars, they edit your videos, it, you have to do it. If I were to tell that to myself three years ago, my three years ago self would have gone and like spent all the money he had on editors yeah. when he had way more time than this particular version of me that has more money. Yeah. So it wouldn't have made sense. Yeah. Uh, so another example that I wanted to give is uh, I, I worked with this guy back in Ames when I was in college. Um, and in the 80s and 90s, he was like this really successful QVC pitch man who would go on infomercials and he would develop products. Sometimes he would invent them himself. Sometimes he'd work with an inventor, but he would always get the patent, I guess. And he made millions of dollars. Like he was a millionaire and he even got on Shark Tank at one point in the first season and actually got a deal from the Sharks. Oh. And that's how I ended up working with him because he contacted the entrepreneurship coordinator at, at Iowa State and was like, hey, are there any hotshot people who know how to deal with websites and emails? And I said, I, I do, I think. So I ended up working with him. But he has a very particular style of making a pitch and making a pitch video. And he works with like this company that is in the same town he lives in, and they have a very particular way of doing video. And I don't know if people listening to this podcast are old enough to remember these, but do you remember like not infomercials, but like the, the as seen on TV kind of commercials yeah. from like the nineties and early two thousands. And they had like the blue screen with the picture in picture of the product at the end, the phone number you could call. Like he was really used to doing that kind of stuff because he was super successful at it. But if you were to ask him, Hey, how do I make a really great ad for my product that I just built? He would probably uh, suggest a style like that. And that's not going to work, especially if you're going to do it on YouTube or something like that. Not yeah. going to work at all. And I remember at one point he was like, I want to do a Kickstarter for something. So they developed a video in that style for Kickstarter. And I was like, <laughs> it's not going to work. It's, it's a different kind of audience. It's not, you know, grandpa sitting at home wanting to order the slap chop. Okay. It's a different kind of audience. They're way more cynical. We've been on the internet. We've seen too many memes. We've been on Reddit for too long. Yeah. You got to make it a little more dry humor. You can't just do it this whole way. So again, like you said, it's not somebody who is trying actively to not be in your best interests. It's just they're coming from their own perspective and maybe their perspective is older and successful in the past. So it has some authority attached to it, but it isn't necessarily right. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's that example. Um, so I, I guess to, to wrap up with that question, figure out your own moral standing, practice exposing yourself to conflict when you believe that you are on the right side of the conflict and you may learn that you're not. Yeah. And then you're gonna you're going to hopefully strengthen your beliefs and strengthen your own resolve to resist authority, especially in cases yeah. where it conflicts with your morals. It's really scary to say no. That's why actually it's one of the most important skills you can build is saying no because yeah. there are so many things that use your time or make you do things you don't want to. Just say no to like, drugs. Just say no every time. Mm -hmm. Say no to everything. Say no to everything. <laughs> Even job offers. Say no to them all. That'll throw them for a loop. That They'll will. have to offer you more that'll, money. It'll confuse them. You said them. no? Actually, that's a good, there's a good point. Um, one thing that I noticed with a lot of college students is they, they naturally view the job interviewer when they go into a job interview as a figure of authority. Fair enough. They're the people holding the purse strings. 
they are higher up in the company than you are because you don't currently work there and you're probably going to be a grunt if you do, unless you're, I don't know, being interviewed as a CEO candidate or something. Yeah. So clearly they are in a position of authority. But what I notice is a lot of students will treat the interview as almost like an audience with the king kind of situation. And they won't confidently sell their skills well enough because they feel like it is uh, a privilege being granted upon them by some benevolent ruler rather than what it really is, which is a mutual discussion between two different parties who have things of value that they want to see if it would be a good idea to exchange. Yeah, I have time and expertise and possibly I'm skinny enough to fit into a drain pipe if you need that fixed and you have eight bucks an hour. Well, is that eight bucks an hour worth it, given the job culture, given the people I'm going to be working with, given the commute, all those factors? That's what I'm trying to figure out. And am I worth it as a potential employee? Do I seem like a jerk? Do I have good experience? What's my resume like? That's what you're evaluating. So we're both being evaluated by the other. And I think this is really important to know when you go into an interview and to keep in the back of your head. There is some respect due to the interviewer, but it is not an opportunity for you to roll over and just be like, please give me a job. I need it. Yeah, unless they're hiring a yes man, in which case you're going to do a great. No, don't be a yes man. Well, ho- uh, nobody if, who's no, they're hiring this, specifically. That's the that's the position. Turn that job down. Nobody listening to Say the CIG no. podcast is allowed to be a yes man. <laughs> if you're a yes man, turn this podcast out or off right now. And then like 15 people just said yes, sir, and turned the podcast <laughs> off, and we lost yeah. part of our audience. I don't care because now we don't have any yes men in the audience. Yeah. So I guess <laughs> especially even in that case, it's not even just saying no to that authority that you're perceiving mm-hmm. it's saying anything at all other than what they directly asked you yeah it's it's being able to speak your mind and not be afraid that it's about to get shut down and that you were mm-hmm. never worthy of speaking it in the first place exactly yeah also Actually, it was i was really afraid of uh talking back to my dad growing up oh well because my dad good, is like good reasons to do that a 250 pound power lifter with a master's degree and he was very intimidating and he had a mustache and he looked basically like a drilled instructor growing up. So I was always very afraid to the point where like he taught me how to start the riding lawnmower. And when you start a riding lawnmower, you have to know how to work the choke. Well, a lot of times I wasn't very good at working the choke and I would flood the engine, but I was so scared of telling him I flooded the engine. I would just be like, uh, I'm just going to put the riding mower away and just use the push mower. And it would take me twice as long to (laughs) mow the lawn because Maybe he didn't properly teach me how to do the choke. Maybe he didn't wasn't patient enough, and like he maybe he didn't supervise me doing it enough times. I don't know. Maybe I just sucked at it. But because I was so afraid of authority, it wasn't even like con- conflict against him. It was I was so afraid to show a mistake. Yeah. That I would just I would have cut the grass with scissors that, rather than tell him again. Oh, I floated the engine again. It would have yeah. It would or I would have paid someone else to do it. Yeah. And, <laughs> I, and I think these kind of experiences, specifically with your dad involved, are something that everyone's had you know, going throughout their life. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm sure everybody's got examples. I know I have examples of plenty of times where I either haven't wanted to, like, say something because, I don't know, they're going to be mad at me. And, well, I don't really know what that means, but I'm scared of it because I just imagined it being a thousand times worse than it actually is Mm -hmm. because I'm not used to it. And this may be a good time to talk about the flip side of authority, like when you're in the position of authority. So you just said, like, there are times when maybe you're scared to say something because you don't want someone to be mad. I wonder if there are times that you don't say something to me because like I'm still kind of the owner of the business. Well, and I know I, I know I often like, don't want to interrupt you while you're working on something. And yeah. I'm like, well, he's doing that. I'll just do something else, I guess. 
you know, and I, I feel bad about it, but like I get really into the kind of things I'm doing and I'm bad at estimating how long it's going to take to say edit a video. So I'll say like, it's going to take probably 90 minutes and then it takes three hours or something like that. That's like, the rule. You times it by two. I usually don't see you texting me like, Tom, well, what the heck? That's because I don't want to interrupt you? you while you're working on videos because the videos is important. Yeah. But see, like, I think we're in a kind of a different scenario where like, obviously if you, if you're like, Hey, I'm going to code and I'm going to take an hour and you took more than an hour, I wouldn't be like, you said it was only going to be an hour yeah, and you're fired. But I would probably without even a second thought text you and be like, Hey, you coming? But you don't do that. And yeah. I wonder if there's a part of like there's the authority some dynamic. There's probably something in there. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, I guess maybe there's a lesson for both of us in that. Number one, maybe you should just tell me that I'm being a dingus, even if I am the owner of the business. Uh, but two, I need to understand that being a person in a position of authority, people are automatically going to defer more often. They're going to not speak their mind. And that can actually be a weakness because that may encourage me to do things I shouldn't be doing or to follow bad habits for a lot longer than I could be doing. Yeah, and if you hire people that don't speak their mind or you run a team or any situation in which you're in authority, if the people below you speak their mind, you will get far more good ideas mm -hmm. because, one, they're probably the people doing the grunt work. They know what it actually means to do the grunt work, and you maybe don't anymore. Yeah. They've got good ideas. And if you shut them all down, well, then you you can't really grow. Exactly, yeah. But it also, it's, the, that's uh, so unconscious, though. Yeah. It reminds me of the, um, what's that, Good to Great they were talking about yeah, how yeah, yeah. every uh, every one of the good to great companies had this like inner circle of people and none of them were yes men, which means none of them listened to the College Info Geek podcast. So they yelled at each other all the time. When they, yeah. were come, they were like fighting about their ideas. Exactly. They're, they all go to battle for their ideas. They'll yell at the CEO just as much as anybody else. Who cares if he's in a position of authority? Because I think it should be done this way. And then they all go out for dinner and they're hunky-dory yeah, because yeah. it turns out that conflict is not the end of the world. And in fact, in a way, conflict is what drives evolution and drives progress in many different ways. Obviously, it can be very destructive at times, but there is a constructive aspect to conflict. Yeah, and it's not like they hated each other. I believe it, they were saying that like, and after that, once a final decision was made, they all shut up and they got behind the final decision and, yep. then, and that was it. But if you don't fight for your ideas... You can't make a good final decision. You didn't yeah. have all the ideas in there. Yeah, exactly. But, it, but it's so unconscious that, like, if I am not texting you for those reasons, I would not even have predicted it. I wouldn't mm. know. Yeah, that would you know? make sense. Same thing with anyone. So even if you don't think people are not doing something because you're an authority figure, they might be and they might not even know it. Yeah. So maybe it'd be worth it in any sort of position like that. Even if, if it's as simple as you're just a particularly aggressive type A leader of a group project mm -hmm. and you're just like, hey, hey. You can tell me if you have an idea because you know there's going to be like that person in the group who's like, no, they've got it handled. I, I don't I don't think I... I'm just imagining I guess I'm sadness. Not, I'm from, not good uh, at this. Yeah, out. I'm, not, I'm not very good at this topic. I, don't, I have some ideas, but they're probably dumb. And like She's got her hands that her costs like this. you, aggressive type A leader, mm -hmm. their ideas. Maybe they're a genius. Yeah. They're just not confident, you know, which would seem like not that weird because I feel like the most... The most obvious like pop culture geniuses anybody's ever aware of all have some like quirk about yeah. them. So not being confident would not seem that weird. You can't well, just write them off. Yeah. And there's always an like if you're a genius and I think everyone has certain aspects that they're very good at. 
it could be hampered in the social dimension by one tiny little thing. Like in the last episode in this series, we talked about, I forget the kid's name, but there was a, you know, a, a Mexican kid in a class and he couldn't speak English very well. So for the most part, uh, kids who were in his groups for group projects would just kind of ignore him or, or rush past him. Uh, yeah, they listened they, to him. They gave up on the language barrier. Yeah. So, and then they would start to think that he's stupid and they would start to make fun of him and say, you're stupid. You're just a stupid kid. Well, you don't have anything to say until he was given part of a project that was his and his alone, but everyone else's grade was dependent upon partly his research. So now they have something riding on the line. They have to listen to him and he communicates a little bit shaky at first, but then eventually gaining confidence. Yeah. So, I mean, that could, it's one potential dimension, just a, a little bit of a lack of command on a second language. Yeah. And they stopped you, being like that near yeah. the end because they were like, wait a second, he's not dumb. I don't know if they did the second part where they realized they were dumb for all of their assumptions. <laughs> they were little kids. Maybe they didn't hit that second point. Yeah. But they at least... One day they'll wake up when they're 30 and be like, oh my God. Yeah, that didn't make any sense, did it? I was dumb. Yeah. I have a lot of those moments, actually. Uh, I'll just like, yeah, a random memory will come them. back from my childhood and I'll be like, I didn't want to remember that. Oh, I hate actually. those. Actually, I'm those. really ashamed of that. It's like, go, <laughs> go away. That didn't happen. I didn't do that. <laughs> uh, okay, so to wrap this up, this chapter talked a lot about um, the different factors that make people think someone is an authority figure, even if it's not actual expertise. So I think physical size was actually one. Well, conversely, they thought people who had higher titles were taller. Yeah, that was in interesting too. Like if, if the same guy comes in, they say as a student, he's this tall. They say he's a lecturer, he's this tall. They say he's a professor, suddenly he's like five inches taller yep. in everybody's minds. That was really interesting. For no reason. Also, what interested me, and I think you mentioned this before, uh, there was a professor, and he would he was like traveling the world and talking to people, and every time he would tell people, because they would ask him naturally, what do you do? I'm a professor. The same people who had been all jovial and having a great conversation, expressing their minds freely, all of a sudden clammed up, and now they're yeah, all deferential yeah, and, they tried, and They tried to sound academic, and they're like, oh, well, yes, that does seem to make sense as an educated person. Yeah, <laughs> you good sir. Hmm. <laughs> I, is, I too have gone to post secondary education. This is not why I'm talking to you in this bar right now. Yeah, it's supposed to be fun. So he, he was saying that he's he now lies and he just says like I'm an electrician or something like that. Yeah, which it's, it's, it's kind of funny because he, he's in the opposite situation where most people they're trying to lie to seem more authoritative. Like somebody will say I'm a professor. Actually, I remember there's a video on YouTube and maybe we can find it. Uh, a kid just, he comes into the class and maybe this is from a movie. Oh, I can't even remember now. <laughs> it's either from a movie or it's an actual YouTube video. And there's probably vice versa versions of this, but he comes into the class and I think somebody starts making fun of him. So he goes up to the front and he just like writes his name on the board and he pretends that he's a substitute teacher <laughs> and he starts teaching the class. And then like, I think there was actually a sub supposed to come in that day and she comes in the room and he, he doesn't want to break the con, so he just says, oh, I was supposed to teach this class. <laughs> she, like, goes home in tears. This may be from a movie. I just can't remember what, what movie it's from. Oh, oh, my God. Okay, you know what it's from? No, I it's don't. It's from Catch Me If You Can. I don't even know That's that. That's what it's from. You, don't, you haven't seen that movie? I haven't seen a lot of movies. That movie and what the is, book it's based that on. Movie? That movie and the book it's based on, which you may like the book better. I like the book better, um, is fantastic. So this guy, Frank Abagnale Jr., um, he's like his dad was in really bad financial trouble when he was growing up and his mom left him. 
So he just decides to become a con man. Like, I guess it was, it started really innocently quote unquote enough where he just like forged a couple of checks, but then it wasn't innocent, but it went from like forging a couple of checks to be able to pay a couple of bills to getting a pilot's out for uniform and then posing as a Pan Am pilot and cashing like thousands and thousands of dollars of checks. And then he eventually posed as an actual medical doctor uh, and he posed as an actual lawyer and he was a smart kid. So he would, he would just read the textbook to pass the bar exam by the skin of his teeth, or he would just stay one step ahead of the doctor duties by trying to listen to what people were saying during operations or during procedures and then going and hiding in a closet and reading up on it. And he was able to do that, but he exploited a lot of authoritative yeah. principles. And actually that movie is a masterclass in how people exploit authoritative principles to pull cons. Yeah. He does a ton of them. Like he goes into the bank wearing the pilot's outfit and has a bunch of, uh, what are they? Stewards like hanging out with him. And the bank tellers who before would always say, I need to see some ID for you to cash this check. They see the pilot outfit. They see the stewardesses. Sure. I'll cash that check. No identification needed. Cause it's all about authority. Yeah. Man, I should have thought about that before this episode started. That is like the movie to watch to go with this chapter of the book. Yeah, apparently. Or read the book itself. I actually read the book before I watched the movie. But the, I think the movie maybe won an Oscar or something. It was a really successful movie. It's got Leonardo DiCaprio in it. And, uh, I forget who made it, but I think Spielberg made it, actually. Hmm. Yeah, it's a good movie. I actually watched it pretty recently when I was at a hotel for a conference. But yeah, so there's obviously like the way you dress can be an authority signal. So people wearing like a well-tailored business suit, people wearing a lab coat, um, people wearing like a judge's robes or something like that. There was a, or a cop outfit. There was a big one. Yeah. There's a scam they talked about in the book where they would find like an old lady who lives alone. And one of the con men would go there wearing a nice, sharp, crisp business suit. And he would say, Hey, we're actually investigating some potential fraud at your bank. So what we want to do is uh, have you go to your bank and take out all of your money so we can see if any of the deposits um, were affecting your account. So she would do that because the guy looked authoritative. He looked like he works for the bank. And then he comes back maybe a couple days later and says, hey, good news. Turns out that uh, none of the money in your account was affected by the fraud going on. And I've brought my friend with security card to the bank here. And the other guy shows up wearing the bank security guard outfit. And he says, well, it's actually past closing time at the bank. But if you want, we can just have this guy take your money back to the bank. And a lot of times they will say, okay. Well, they're all happy. They're like, "Yay, yeah. my account wasn't affected by the exactly. by this." Well, it was. It turns out. So they've out appeared the to end. they've appeared to help you out, and now they're looking like they work for the bank, and they just will take your money back to the bank, except they won't. And now all your money's gone. Yeah, literally all of your savings. What a yeah man. People are bad. That hurts. So there was that. There's like status symbols, like again, yeah, driving a Lexus or something. Jewelry. If you wear like fifty chains, you know? that's why realtors will go buy an expensive car. You know, they don't want to look like, you know, if your realtor pulls up in like a 1995 Civic and they're like, hey, let's go look at some houses. Like, Are you going to take me to like under a bridge or something? Yeah. Like no, you, they're going to roll up in a Lexus. They want you to think or that they're very successful. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think, yeah, there was there's like status symbols like that. There was clothing. Oh, titles was another big one. Yeah. Um, so if you're professor or if you're officer or whatever, uh, if you have MD at the end of your name or PhD, yeah, that's, that's why you become a burger technician. 
Burger Technician. You know, you, you talk yep. it up, make it a really cool sounding title. Facilitated transactions at a reputable establishment for the consumption of hamburgers. And yeah, you're hired for CEO position. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Were there any others? I can't remember if there are any other like like um, things that cons use. It was titles. I feel like that clothes, was most of the most of the main examples. So trappings. It's just like yeah, the people trying to con you with it. People who are just telling you to do things you don't agree with, mm-hmm. you know, and then if you're an authority figure. Okay. So I guess the one thing I'll wrap up here with is uh, in the how to say no section, it mentioned that a lot of times the reason authority works well is because it catches us by surprise. So in addition to understanding your moral grounding, in addition to um, exposing yourself to conflict and building some practice in that area, Whenever you have a little inkling of confusion in your head, uh, just ask yourself: like, does this person actually have the requisite, pro- or you know, the requisite expertise or knowledge or whatever it is that makes sense for what they're asking? So, if, like, a police officer is like, "I need you to take this red pill." Clearly, an authority figure, but mm. yeah, basically, when you find yourself confused, it's a really good time to be yeah. like, "Wait, wait, wait, wait! Don't take any actions." Why am I confused? Or even if it's a doctor, do police like, officers normally hand me pills? They don't yeah. normally. Or actually, I don't even think doctors normally hand you pills. I think I go to the pharmacy and I get those pills, don't I? And you write me a prescription, and also you would be my primary care physician, not just a random guy wearing a lab coat and a stethoscope. Yeah. So, it's all about noticing confusion, and then again having the courage to enter in a little bit of conflict. If uh, you believe that you are right and they're wrong. Well, you definitely got to enter the conflict because if you're like, well, I'm fairly certain that this is a random person, but I'm kind of afraid if they're a real doctor, so I'm just going to take the pill. That's obviously a terrible idea. Yeah, don't so. do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just, I don't want to be awkward. He's wearing so. like super baggy jeans and an affliction t-shirt. I just, uh, his, he's, his face is painted like a drug low, but I don't want to embarrass him. <laughs> I don't want to embarrass him. So sure, I'll take this strangely shaped pill. Of yeah. dubious origin. Yeah, it's definitely it's when you're confused, stop and then be willing. I don't. Where can you try out conflict in a way that's like consistent, but not you just being a jerk? You know, because if you're just like you're wrong, teacher, you're wrong to everything they say. You're not really. You're just practicing being debate club annoying. That's a good place. Um, there's a subreddit on Reddit.com called I believe it's Convince Me I'm Wrong, where people will just start a thread like. I believe that gay marriage is wrong. Convince me I'm wrong. There's all sorts of crazy, super controversial threads like that. Yeah, and then you go in yeah, there and people are just a subreddit having well-written that. arguments. You know, we'll have it I in the it show notes. I thought it was something else, like change my view or something. That's what it is. Yep, it's change my view. Not convince me I'm wrong. Oh, see that? I just challenged just Boom. Reddit authority. Yep. And now I we have, have the been right on answer. Reddit more than you. I think it's actually convince me I'm wrong. <laughs> <Just kidding>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just make that subreddit and redirect it and then it'll work. That's true, yeah. We'll have it in the show notes, but yeah, I, I believe it's a good one, my view. That's a good subreddit. Uh, Debate Club would be a good thing. I, I think maybe our friend group was actually very helpful because we just argued all the time. Yeah, we like to, <laughs> we like to everybody just devil's advocates random positions when yep. they want to. <laughs> mm-hmm. Though I do believe that you have to also practice it in real situations. Yeah. You and Quentin, well, I'm just you, like, I can say to, something it's stupid. Just, you can't, you can't force you know. the real situations to come just for conflict. Just be ready yeah. for when they happen. Don't go up to your teacher and be like, I don't believe you're a real teacher at all. I think you're actually a zebra underneath a human mask, and I'm going to remove your head to prove it. Like, you need to have some sort of justification yeah. for entering into conflict. Yeah, see, because that's the problem, because you can't practice the real stuff 
when you want to. It's not an yeah. on-demand, I'm just going to go start a fight with somebody. Mm-hmm. And I think you also need to do it in person. It's pretty easy to enter into conflict on the internet, uh, especially when you're an anonymous person Why else would people break up over text? Yeah. It's because they're afraid of the conflict. Yep. Yeah, I, I really do think that there is a separate skill in looking someone in the eye and saying, I disagree with you. Yeah. Especially when they're an authority figure. So you do need to practice that. And maybe debate club is a good starting point for that if you're in school. Um, but I'm sure there are other there are other instances. And I, even if we can't think of a whole lot of ways to seek out conflict, I think the main message here is don't shy away from it when it's justified. Yeah. Call the pizza guy. <laughs> yeah, you know, and before you electrically shock some people, at least, at least you know, try to stop. See what 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 happens it. if you leave. Yeah. You know, do they detain you and say you're going to keep doing it? I don't know what to do in that situation, but I don't know. Also, the fact that we have that thing in knowledge, we know about that experiment, yeah. means that if we're ever forced into a situation like that, we can think back and be like, wait a second. Are we about to be that person who shocks the... Because I said that I wouldn't be that person. I was convinced that wouldn't be me. So now that I'm in this scenario and I can see that it is very analogous, yep. Like it'll, it'll be easier to awaken you to what's actually going on. Yeah. Yeah, so just keep keep that in mind, I suppose. Cool. Well, we will have all the things we talked about in this episode within the show notes, which you'll find at, what is this, 197? That sounds right to me. I yes, have yes, the book yes. open. 197. So. Cool. So cigpodcast.com slash 197. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, the description down below will have that link. So check that out. We'll have everything we linked to in those show notes for your reading pleasure. Um, you can also support this podcast by giving it a rating and review on iTunes. If you enjoy the show, that is a great way to help it grow, helps it move the charts, all kinds of great stuff like that. And if you want to find our favorite apps, our favorite gear, our dorm, uh, our college packing guide, our favorite books that we recommend everyone read, you can find everything related to that over at collegeinfogeek.com slash resources. So check that out if you got a little bit of free time. Thanks for listening, and we will see you in next week's episode. Stay cute.